0: Ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the pre-order bonus it's the 101st episode of the pre-order bonus podcast i'm your host cameron warren and i'm joined as always by the darkness called (laughs) jacob price
1: (laughs) you know it's funny you said the darkness and i know because we're talking about bloodborne you made it in reference to that but i actually immediately you remember that song um i believe in a thing called love Probably came out in like 2005 yes. or something yes I do by uh-huh. the band the darkness that's like literally what I thought of i'm I'm def- my mind is not sp- spooky enough for bloodborne or something
0: I was born in the darkness <laughs> you only adopted it we do what's that from
1: <laughs> uh Batman the animated series
0: Batman <laughs> no it's uh Dark Knight Rises I know. the worst of the Batman trilogy maybe but I actually kind of like it still
1: I like it. I'll be honest, since I'm mean, eventually we do one 100 episode that doesn't follow the formula and Cameron and I are all over the place, just saying. But no, I actually don't like Batman Begins. And I'll tell you why I don't like it. it it's actually okay. a fine movie. I really hate how Gotham looks. Like, I hate the aesthetic of that movie. <laughs> like, I think it just looks bad. Everything else is fine. Uh... Any other hot takes we want to get out there real quick?
0: I mean, no, I like, I mean... Batman Begins is a great movie, so. <laughs> like, okay. Batman trilogy, you can only pick one. Batman Trilogy or Endgame Infinity War. What are you what are you walking out with?
1: Batman Trilogy.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm thinking you're right. I'm thinking you're right. And with that, video games. <laughs> um <laughs> Jake, I have not been playing a lot of video games. I got to be honest, and I'm actually really disappointed by it. I did open my Xbox last night and turn on a game called Corvus. Oh, Corvus, it's chorus, chorus.
1: but with a V for a U.
0: Chorus, is that is that like Vavitch? You know the, the movie Vavitch. It's spelled Vavitch, but it's witch. By no, it's... I know what you you know you're talking, what talking about.
1: about. Now, when I, whenever I see a V, oh my gosh, guys, we're gonna get into some super nerdum. As if talking about video games Wasn't enough
0: We back In
1: Latin um, And this was something that Transferred over to a lot of Romance languages But there were certain letters that would be Replaced by others in writing And U being replaced by V is actually Extremely common Um, There are some other ones S's being replaced by what looks like An F
0: Have you seen Vavitch? Uh, no
1: it's a horror movie so
0: so that's that's a robert egers egers movie (laughs) who also directed the lighthouse which i also haven't seen and the northman (laughs) which i also haven't seen but for some reason i know that Uh, i didn't
1: know that i actually really wanted to see the lighthouse
0: why is this suddenly a movie podcast i
1: don't know
0: (laughs) i don't know Hey, you know what? This is what we do here, okay? So if you're here and you're annoyed right now, then, like, I'm sorry. That's just what we do in the first 10 minutes of this episode. Of of every show, we get to do whatever we want. That's my <laughs> one clause that I have in our contract with Jake. I get 10 minutes just to shoot the ball. It's bowl, true. Right, so Jake? skip
1: ahead to the about the 10-minute mark. Although, for some reason, I feel like 15-minute mark might be safer for this episode.
0: I realize if you really... No, this is we talked about this on episode one hundred, like you need that healthy mix. You need that healthy mix of the randomness of the of the of the the jokes and the and the hot takes. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. So we're not
0: Or maybe not. I mean sorry, if if you're listening to this and you're like, just get to the games. I'll get to the games right now, because I played chorus and it was really <laughs> boring, so I turned it off. <laughs> so that's my gaming update. Um no, actually, I've... Man, I've been really wanting to go back to Death Stranding. Okay. That's kind of where my gaming head is at. I've been really wanting to go back to Death Stranding. I actually bought, like, as a rule, every year I have to buy at least three games on the Steam Summer Sale or else I have anxiety and I, like, can't continue with okay. my life. So, I got Return of the Obra Dim. Oh! Den.
1: Nice!
0: have you played um, that it's yet on
1: like every platform available now i've been meaning to buy it for like four years i feel like now
0: so that's coming soon to a pre-order bonus theater Ooh. near you because i i feel like that's yeah. right up our alley so uh return of the Oberdin, and then i got a okay oh yeah i got dragon's dogma i finally oh. caved on this and i played it and i got no bored, so okay which one isn't there yeah, a sequel sorry. also sequels in oh, development. Sequels yeah, and yeah development. sequels in development. They announced that at the Cop... Copcam. Copcam. No, no, it's Capcom. <laughs> uh, Capcom... Capcom had their own showcase. Out of all the companies, no. would you have guessed that Capcom... No. I mean, I, right? mean, they,
1: I think... Uh, blah, 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 blah. They had stuff to say, and they had announcements to make, but did nobody, like... Uh, this is a, such a rude question, but, like, did none of the big gaming events there's no way they didn't reach out to capcom or capcom was like nah we're just doing our own thing i'm sure they're testing something out right
0: nah uh no i've I've been wanting to get back to death stranding that's kind of number one on my list um oh jake i'll i have some very good news for for me nice let's hear it I am on halfway through the third island hey, on Cuphead.
1: Nice work.
0: Right? Right, 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 right. Did you finally beat the Queen Bee? Uh, I finally beat the stupid nice. Queen Bee. And I am stuck on the robot. The robot, the robot is sucks.
1: the hardest boss in Cuphead. I have played... Is it? Oh, that actually no. makes me feel
0: pretty good because I yeah. feel like I'm like this it close to cracking. It is the hardest
1: boss. I I mean, the, obviously the final boss is difficult. Um, so I have been playing a bunch of Cuphead. Um, Cameron, don't feel bad when I say this. Maybe plug your ears. So I got an A ranking on all of the new bosses <laughs> to get the achievement. You need. You actually need A minus or higher. So I have a few A minuses in there. Um, I Jake, you're an achievement yeah, hunter. Yeah, I know that. You know that?
0: We have, have. we talked about this yet?
1: You know what's funny, Cameron? And shout out to my mom, because I'm going to actually shout out my mom, one of our dedicated listeners. There, the, the episode that Cameron was like, Jacob, you're such an achievement hunter. Um, my mom texted me and she said, you know what? I think more people could be achievement hunters. I'm proud of you, son. <laughs>
0: That is the most <laughs> mom thing that's Love ever you, been said. Love you, mom. Thank you
1: so most. much for that. So now, when I'm like achievement hunting, I feel very proud of myself. Thank you very <sighs> much,
0: Jake. You're such an achievement hunter. Um, no, I mean, look, Jake. Jake, you're more of a gamer than I am. You know, like I don't even know if I'm a. Re- I'm not really a true gamer. We're talking about this. What's the definition you of a what? gamer? You
1: know what? I okay. told my students last year when I forced them to play some video games for class. I said, "If you play Candy Crush," I said, "Who here plays Candy Crush?" And about a fifth of my class raised their hand, and I said, "I'm sorry. Yep. If you need to take the day off to reflect and come, you know, come to terms with this, uh, <laughs> you're a gamer," and the and yeah that's why i have so few students this semester
0: i (laughs) jake's jake's uh professor review scores are in the tank (laughs) everybody no you know it's funny about that like i would argue that if you are a candy crush or a mobile game like addict you are more of a gamer than i am i like it and then probably jake is as well because you don't play any Uh of those games either uh no we're like we're more like artisan <laughs> gamers you know what i mean like high f- <laughs> high fidelity Is that a thing yeah 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 right so like look you know in the world of uh, alcohol and wine you know there's like really high society people you only drink like really fine wine that's kind of who we are but with games
1: um right yeah that's why i've nearly 100 percented bug snacks
0: yeah that's that's what i'm saying no like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's like drinking a fine whiskey here everybody else is out there having their six pack of Coors light every night their their bud light <laughs> seltzer they're having their their box wine and jake is drinking a fine 1964 pinot grigio of, uh, of uh, gaming right sure. absolutely all right i've gone way off course jake i know you're playing a ton of games tell us what your list is because you you put this in the discord but you've got a big list i got a big list
1: this is relatively typical i'm kind of back into the full swing of of gaming right now um obviously recently uh finished up bloodborne we're talking about it tonight recently finished up marvel's guardians of the galaxies um that will probably be our next episode and um uh let's see here um I am playing Stray, which just came out yesterday as of this recording. I love it. I'm having an absolute blast playing Stray. It's phenomenal. I see this easily making my end of the year list. Um, I've also, so the Steam Summer Sale, one of the games I picked up is a new one called uh, Dorf Romantique. Um, that's my best. Uh, it's a German game, but it's, it's a really cool tile strategy game. So imagine like Settlers of Catan tiles, but um, I didn't realize this. I thought it was just like a city builder, but it's actually like a relatively strategic game where each side you get more points if you match it up to the a similar side on a different tile. And your goal yeah. North Romantic. And your goal is to just like create yeah. these sprawling maps and with X amount of tiles um and the goal is to get a high score. It's actually super competitive because like there is a ranking and a list of like where your scores are.
0: Oh, I didn't realize there was a ranking. I I've actually had my eye on that for a long time, but I just haven't pulled the trigger cause I didn't so think it I'd be recently
1: came out of early access and launched 1.0 this year. Um, they even have like a monthly seed. So the monthly challenge is everybody gets the exact same stack of tiles and your goal is to totally optimize it and climb the ranks um, or there is a creative mode that does feel a little bit more like a city builder. I love it because I'll pop on PC and I'll just—they have like these quick matches, which is just a short stack of tiles, and I love it, man. I'll just play like one or two quick matches. Um, that has been mm. a ton of fun. I'm playing more. Um,
0: Jake, are you saying c- you're into city builders? Okay, now? city
1: builders are different than like tactical games. Just want to make a clear line okay. there.
0: Oh, oh, okay. Because okay, like okay, I played. Okay. How far did you get in How far did you get in Frostpunk again?
1: I got very far in Frostpunk. I also got very frustrated. That's a hard one.
0: <laughs> that game is actually super hard. I actually We
1: have an that. episode on Frostpunk. No. It's one of our first ones. I think it's episode like 8. We do.
0: I switched I switched instead to Anno 1800. If yeah, you know I it's... remember
1: when you were playing this. You liked it.
0: Anno 1800 is about building a early industrial age civilization. Nice and be initiating world it gets very complicated but it's much more Mm lighthearted than the extremely depressing and dark environment
1: brutal um okay i'll I'll wrap up here real quick i actually played halo reach with my brothers-in-law anybody wants to play halo reach anytime i'll play with you i probably one of my favorite halo games ever i'm ashamed it's taken me so long to play it um
0: Halo Infinite Co-op. Oh, dude, I'm so
1: excited. I'm in a really big Halo mood because of Halo Reach. I want to go back and do uh, Halo 3's campaign and then the ODST because I never played that either. I know. Not a true Halo fan. Um, Yeah.
0: I, yeah, I don't fine. know.
1: There was some other game. Oh, Opico launched on Switch. and My kids are really into that now since they've kind of fallen off of Stardew Valley. And then I also want to play Death Stranding. So my goal is to wrap up a few games this week and then kind of go full in on death stranding.
0: Gotcha. Well, I'll try and play some more games. (laughs) Death stranding. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like my work is reaching a plane of equilibrium. So if that continues to happen, although today, uh, actually I had a massive, uh, meltdown in my second job, not my first job, which took up all the time that I could have used to do my actual job. Great. So, yeah, it kind of sucks. But, no, video games, Jake, today we're talking about um, a huge video game. An absolutely massive, extremely popular, cult fan favorite video game. Dare I say, From Software's Best? Hmm. We will find out today when we talk about Bloodborne. Jake, how are we gonna break this one? We down?
1: are gonna talk about Bloodborne in four categories. The first one is narrative, storytelling. We've covered a few from software games already on this podcast. Uh Bloodborne tells a good story, and we're gonna talk about that in our first category. The second one is mechanics. So, the nitty gritty, how you're interacting with the game. A lot here, obviously, related to combat. It has a very unique combat system in the same way that Sekiro has a very unique combat system when compared to other From Software games. Um, and we'll be talking about all of that when we talk about the mechanics. Third, we get into the gameplay loop. So, what's going to bring you back to this game? What is the obvious pattern? in place in Bloodborne that is going to draw you back to it, that's going to suck you in and keep you fearing the old blood. And then finally, impact on the industry. Oh boy, we could probably talk for a very long time about the legacy of Bloodborne. Now, I am very interested in this section for us to discuss legacy versus impact. Where do we actually see Bloodborne's influence on the industry or where do we see just people continually talking about it and its legacy um we also have exclusive news on when the remake is coming to ps5 and when bloodborne's launching on pc this is definitely not fake clickbait let's get to
0: it wait really
1: (laughs) (laughs) well cameron get to the end of the episode and you'll know whether or not i am lying
0: get to the end of the episode and find out um Jake, Bloodborne. Bloodborne. Man, we are just talking about it's good grief. (laughs) I feel like how have we not done this episode yet? Are we just bad at our jobs? I don't know. Man, Bloodborne. The story of Bloodborne. Let me paint a picture for you. (laughs) A mansion. An umbilical (laughs) cord. A hat. A wheelchair. A saw. an old lady. No, I lost it. Sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been
1: tonight's episode. That is Bloodborne in a (laughs) nutshell.
0: (laughs) Okay. The story of Bloodborne. So actually when I started playing Bloodborne, I I looked around because I decided, look, I'm going to play this from software game. I haven't finished any. This was a time before this was pre Elden Ring. I hadn't actually finished any from software game. I was like, you know what? I dabbled in it. I dabbled in it. Like, A year before I decided, okay, I'm finally going to dig into this one. And when I did that, I said, look, I'm just going to do this whole thing like purely with a guide and I'm not going to mess around. I'm just going to use a guide. I'm going to follow it to a T and then I'm going to go look up actually the lore as I Mm. go so I can understand everything that's happening. And then I realized when I looked up the lore that there is no actual, (laughs) there is (laughs) There is no actual, like, definitive story of Bloodborne. There is none. There are interpretations of what the story means and what all, like, the interlacing things that happen in the game have to do and how they connect with one another. Yeah. (laughs) So, to that end, here's my interpretation of Bloodborne. Essentially, you are. You fall asleep, you're, you're a hunter, you're a hunter who lives in the city of Yarnum. you fall asleep, you wake up in the nightmare dream world of Yarnum, where it's been taken over by demons, ghosts, monsters, whatever, and the only way that you can wake up from that dream is by finishing your mission but you don't really know your mission you're just following kind of a path and then when you get to the end you get to choose between either waking up and living a normal life or becoming an alien that's my that's my interpretation
1: (laughs) i love it what an interpretation oh my gosh um Man, the story of Bloodborne is wild. Holy crap. It is it is very, very wild. And I mean that in a very good way. I think the biggest difference between Bloodborne and other From Software games is this sort of the nightmare state of Yharnam. And at the very beginning, you have a very cryptic cutscene. There's some sort of blood transfusion that is supposed to make you into a hunter within the nightmare of Yarnum, and so from the very beginning we have this very obfuscated story and it's very difficult to tell what exactly is reality and what pertains exclusively to the nightmare. Now this sets it apart I think from other From Software games because other From Software games very much dabble in the ideas of illusions within worlds. I think maybe most famously in Dark Souls 1 when you get to Anor Londo it looks like it's this beautiful you know uh palace castle bathed in sunlight and you come to realize later that that is an illusion that the sun is not in the sky big spoiler for dark souls one you know sorry about that i guess however in 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 bloodborne we start from the very onset of this obfuscation of where the line between the subconscious your consciousness and reality in this nightmare state of yarn begins which is why I think Bloodborne lends itself to some really cool interpretations, like your interpretation, Cameron. Um, The nitty-gritty, what's going to probably hold uh, true for each interpretation or iteration of what Bloodborne is, is that you have signed a blood contract to become a hunter of Yarnum, And you are under the tutelage of the first hunter, Germán. And essentially, your job is to... End the nightmare. There is a perpetual, nightmarish night that will recur. Uh, you know, in Yarnum. So during the day, people live there normally. They live their lives, and then at night, they lock up their houses, and um, some some of them go out and join what's called the hunt to kill all of these beasts. And you essentially do that. You take down all of the big bads, and you end the nightmare. With uh, some specific bosses that you kill towards the very end. Now, the basic ending, which is the ending that I got, is that you. I'm sorry, this is a spoiler <laughs>
0: episode. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's been long I enough, it, everybody. I'm sorry. We're just we're spoiling. It's the
1: been long out of enough. Thing. In the in the other fact, I would say is that uh, there's so the endings vary relatively, and so the the ending that I'm giving you is not necessarily true, right? But essentially, you can go back to German and you can tell him. That okay, your mission is complete. You submit your life to what you've done, uh, you are killed, and then you awaken. You awaken in the dawn, and the nightmare is over, and you have caused it to cease. So, that is the basic story. Close,
0: I was pretty close. No, and and the thing is, is
1: like, with, with what you say, it's not necessarily wrong because everything is shrouded about this story.
0: Um, and the thing, the thing about the umbilical cords, that is 100% true yes if you find i can't remember how many exactly and i i read this in the guide this is the only reason that i know this but if i had taken the time to find them when you get to the final ending what is it that you become jake like you become the main bad guy right like the main a great one that's right yeah and you live in like an ethereal plane, essentially. Who knows? Am I getting where you that right?
1: Live? I mean, <laughs> just because like where do where does any of this really take place? Like, is the whole thing somebody's dream? You know, and, and that's part of the question here. Um, now, I think this is it, it's kind of an interesting thing because it's very much a trope to be like you woke up and it was all a dream. But I think Bloodborne, Bloodborne actually makes that trope interesting. And by by the end of the game you kind of decide how much of what reality you want to accept. And because you accept it as reality, therefore it is reality. And so it's a little more than just like, okay, it's a dream. We woke up from the dream, right? And and you can obviously manipulate and change how the dream or nightmare plays out depending on what you've done throughout the game and depending on what ending you get. So wild. Oh my gosh. Um... <laughs>
0: I think that, I think this, um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we have to do this because it's just part of what makes it fun. Um, I feel like this story is not better than Elden Ring, but I think the world is more immersive Mm -hmm. and It is just – even if you are not a fan of um, – what's the word? What's, what's the word? Horror? Lovecraftian. Horror, Lovecraftian, like, horror nightmare stuff, this game will capture oh, your sure. imagination. Like, I don't know what it is about it that, like – Cause I'm, I'm not like a Lovecraftian horror fan. I'm not, I don't dig, I don't watch like those types of movies and shows and whatever. Like, and so you turn this on though. And like something happens where you just get caught up in this thing and it is, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, it. it's just engrossing. So like, I didn't understand what was happening in the story, but I was like, man, this world is so yeah. detailed and so engrossing. And it's just like, there's so much going on and there's like lines of dialogue and you're like, what does that mean? That That must mean yeah. something. And there's people screaming <laughs> and there's like undead people walking around and there's you know, like a giant wolf boss, and then you go fight, you know, Father Gascon or however you say his name, Gascon, sure. Father Gascon, and you're like, oh, this is like this this hunter that you that has now turned into like a werewolf, and then I have to kill yep. him, and then the insane like scene where you come on, I can't remember exactly what part of the map it is, but when you come on and like the hunter. Who is like, he's not a dead person. He's like a crazy hunter. He's up on the tower, like shooting crap down on you. And you're like, what is going on right now? And you have to make your way for what feels like probably, it probably took me to get to him over an hour (laughs) of gameplay to like actually finally make it up to him. And then you have to fight him like boss style. And he's not that he's actually cheesed him. I pushed him off the edge. Um, so it's just engrossing. Like I just think the the level design, like the aesthetic, all of that. And don't get me wrong. Like I love Elden Ring. I think it's going to be game of the year soon. I think it's one of the games of of the decade of of mm-hmm. and will be for this decade. But this game is, I think, a little bit more engrossing. And I, I anyway, I think I yeah. want to make that comparison because it's. Anyway, I think it's just an interesting comparison. Anyway, that's that's the way I feel. Even as somebody who. You know, i I had the expand. I didn't finish everything in Bloodborne. I just got like basic finish. Yeah, so, I would say like anyway. with
1: what you're getting at with Elden Ring versus Bloodborne. Elden Ring is very much a dark fantasy story, right? So fantasy with some dark elements, um, some horror elements in some places, and uh, but it very much follows the laws of fantasy. And I think with Bloodborne, because, I mean, Bloodborne to me is almost like a commentary on even just playing video games. Like, I think it's breaking the fourth wall. Every time I would boot up, you know, Bloodborne, and I become the hunter, and I'm playing through the game, and every time I would quit, you know, I would leave the nightmare. And the nightmare would persist until I beat the game, right? Like, the nightmare that is playing Bloodborne. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. (laughs) um and, and so i think bloodborne definitely has some really cool elements on top of it there now getting to the aesthetic you've heard me say it before in this podcast i also dislike this aesthetic however as i was playing through bloodborne i asked myself could you replace bloodborne um with the story and the lore that it has about the blood the blood of the great ones and essentially what you're doing as you are hunting beasts could you just move that to one of from software's other settings and you can't and I will tell you why I have this prepared I've been thinking about this lore tab from Bloodborne ever since I beat Bloodborne and here it is it is it is the lore description for go. the top hat of all things it says Hat worn by hunters who admire formality. Some hunters place an emphasis on form as seen by the use of the threaded cane. For them, and this second part is the most important part for me and why Bloodborne must have this Lovecraftian horror aesthetic. For them, formality, beauty, and justice are the very essence of our humanity and precisely what keeps hunters from becoming something else. Now, this is set in an era, and I just came off a unit of teaching 19th century uh, Latin American literature. So, uh, this is fresh on my mind while I was playing Bloodborne. Uh, the Enlightenment and Romanticism, like a lot of these giant movements in history, they are focused on things like formality, beauty, justice, new forms of liberty. And science as a means of explaining and finding truth. And those, I mean, themes that are so strong in these artistic movements from the real world and things that we do find in Gothic literature later, things that we find in the late 19th century with uh, Nikola Tesla and all of these things, those themes are best told In that type of a setting the setting from which they came historically and so bloodborne is playing homage to those settings to those artistic movements and because so much of the story and lore is wrapped around formality beauty and justice and what prevents and divides humans from non-humans what humanity is, you know, in the, in these time periods in artistic movements and very much in Bloodborne, humanity is like the superior final evolution of the ape. And it is supposed to be beautiful and glorious. It's supposed to be able to be intelligent and come up with rationale and logical systems and, you know, logical, true ways of finding justice and logical and true ways of setting up societies And in Bloodborne, the use of blood is so important and so much hails back to the science of the 19th century that I just think to myself, if you were to try to move this into a medieval fantasy setting or like even a futuristic setting, it would feel too anachronistic for the themes and it simply wouldn't complement those themes very well. And what I love about this is actually the armor aesthetic which isn't armor at all it's like what leather jacket or priestly attire would you like to wear right but those things like as i was thinking about this quote and i was looking at the different armors i was thinking these are very much specifically designed in mind and if you read the lore tab of all the armor to reflect these ideas of formality of formality to the point of like arrogance or being pompous or being, you know, holier than thou holier than thou being a very big theme and characteristic of many of the NPCs of bloodborne. So despite the fact that I don't like this Lovecraftian horror aesthetic, bloodborne would not be the game. It is. It could not tell the story that it tells without it taking place in a world shaped after that style. And this is my thesis. (laughs)
0: wow this is i've been thinking really hard about
1: about this because i wanted to think of in you know i'm trying to lay out like an argument that's based in evidence what we would say in academia evidence from the text evidence from the game and the historical context from which it's derived and the way that it criticizes and celebrates different cultural norms so i'm trying to put up a somewhat objective look at like could bloodborne really survive outside of this aesthetic and I think objectively it would falter and it would not live up to its ability to tell the themes that it does in the way that it does as effectively as it does. Fo- I should have gotten water folks. I'm sorry. Bloodborne. This episode is going to be three hours long. I hope you like the game. I hope you like the podcast.
0: Hmm. Uh, yeah. The use of blood is interesting here. Cause I think this is, I mean, Aside from Sekiro, um, this game leaves the uh, the souls thing behind. It has literally like built into the lore of the game. The blood vials like are your source of health, and they have. I'm gonna get this wrong, Jake, but they have like. There's one part in the game where you run into, or one of the NPCs yes. is a blood doctor. Yeah. Is that right? Am I saying that correct? And anyway, so there's this whole, there's this whole lore behind like the blood. And I actually, I remember specifically, I ended up down like a deep, dark rabbit hole. This is like a year and a half ago, down like entire YouTube series, like around the blood vials on Bloodborne and like explaining the lore behind them. Anyway, so, I mean, I think this is the reason that, and we'll go into this more in, in our final category, but this is the reason I think this game is so beloved because it's the full package of all of the little details that go into the aesthetic plus just the little nuances and the little bits of story that from software gives you in this game, the way that the hundreds of ways that you can combine that all together and kind of create your own version. I mean, almost everybody's going to have their own like, version of the story this is what this is why it transcends just having you know like a it's not you know like uncharted and like those games and like rpgs like kotor like they stand up because they have these really strong kind of straightforward narratives that are just well written and like well established and have you know good hooks and and good characters in it this game this this story stands up because of all the little nuances of the aesthetic in the world. And that's similar to Elden Ring, but I think, I think this game that does it
1: Bloodborne's matter. universe and lore is much more compact and it's much more well defined. than I think uh and and, and I want to say like I think the world of Bloodborne in part partly this is visually how the story is being told visually, especially in comparisons, for example, between Yarnum and old Yarnum. Um, old Yarnum being an area that was essentially quarantined because of some sort of variation of blood sickness or disease impacted people and turned them into beasts differently than it did in in, in Yarnum, and so it's sort of this quarantined area. Anyway, um, it the Bloodborne world and universe is so well packaged. It's, it's so much easier to sort of digest and understand exactly what is happening in the world. I also think that just like the storytelling is not nearly as vague as it is in other games. I think Sekiro, and, um, Sekiro by far is the most straightforward story, in my opinion. I think Elden Ring is also a very straightforward story. But I think Bloodborne, when it comes, it's, it's, it's not only a straightforward story, but it's also a straightforward world. Um, and it's a straightforward environment and part of this is because the environment so obviously reflects the impact of the nightmare of yarnum um just visually and we're getting back to environmental storytelling there are so many things that are so easily just to see right what is going on or what happened here now uh, unfortunately, this is why I think part of the reason this probably isn't why everybody else wants a remake. I would love a remake of bloodborne just so we see a little more than just black (laughs) in the game. Like there's one area, the nightmare frontier where um, it's not just black. Um, And it's unfortunate because I feel like I would go to some of the designs and some of the cathedrals and some of the, in the, in the healing church, for example, and there'd be some like really cool looking designs, but the colors are so blurry or the colors are just so pale and and you know so poorly saturated in my opinion that everything kind of gets washed out and i think that's a real shame i think uh, bloodborne could retain its scarer its scary and its horror aesthetic and environment with some with some cleanup and with some polish on new gen hardware In 2022, um, which is a shame. Of course, I played this game for the first time in 2022. Had I played it back in 2015, I could maybe I thought differently. But it's it's a real shame that I think um, because the environment is so important to the lore and to the world building that looking at Bloodborne now, you just there's a richness there that's kind of lost.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still thought I still actually thought I'm being very nitpicky, but... but. But yeah, I mean, come on this 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 game is this game is begging <laughs> to be remade. I mean, for good for goodness' sake, like make, remake the game, Sony. Like get it together, somebody get it together. Like it's it, all the remakes and like yeah, everyone's making remakes and it's like Crash Bandicoot and like all this stuff and it's like dude, all right, like <laughs> like everybody wants this, Listen. everybody. And now millions more people have played Elden Ring and if you re-release like and get that same uh, game trailer team that did the Elden Ring trailers and put it on this Bloodborne <laughs> remake, it's going to sell multiple millions upon millions Oh of man, copies. we, like, we no will
1: return to it. this conversation on impact in the industry. <laughs> no,
0: you... this is... Sorry, let me just get into the gameplay because I think this goes right into that. 30 FPS for when this game is not good it's 30 enough.
1: FPS... I mean, like, this game, don't get me wrong.
0: When yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed this game, but there
1: were some moments. Now, I had to get used to the dodge because you dodge in this game very differently. You don't roll. You actually do a quick jump to the side to dodge. I had to get used to that. Even after I got used to that, I was still having problems. I think I already mentioned this, but I'm going to say it again. And I texted Cameron. I was like, I can't dodge in this game. I can't get the timing down. He was like welcome back to 30 fps <laughs> but the problem is is that in some areas and in some boss fights that 30 is looking like a 20
0: was it that snarky i, I, I mean didn't say it, it was scary. in Come it on. was in
1: good fun but it was it was funny um yeah joking. so that's my biggest complaint is like man in man some of these areas were so freaking tough because I was fighting not just enemies, but I was fighting the performance of the game, which was a real, real shame. Um, but yeah, also getting into gameplay. I could talk about lore and story forever. I, I made the major points that I really want to, but if you want to talk nitty gritty, this is a pitch for the Discord, which you can join, and we've had plenty of conversation about Bloodborne there. We, I'm more than happy to continue talking about Bloodborne, the final point of the the story. We could talk about Mikolash. Oh my gosh, what a weirdo, right? And we could talk also about Mergo's wet nurse, which I my wife was watching me play that boss, and she was like, I would not hire that lady to be my child's wet nurse, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> gameplay.
0: Uh, ga- yeah, so getting back to the gameplay, or getting into the gameplay, um, 30 FPS sucks. Uh, that being said, I think this game has, outside of Sekiro, I think this is the best combat. Oh. I think it's better than Elden Ring. And, and here's why I say that, because I love magic, how like Elden Ring went mm-hmm. ham on the magic. Like, I love that. It's awesome. I think it's, I, I love all the abilities and stuff, but there's just a, uh, I'm a little bit more of a sort of, this game is, it's mm. faster so first off, it's a lot faster. So like you run faster, you just move faster in general. And that kind of goes with the theme. Like you're not wearing any armor. You're wearing yeah. like a leather suit. Um, or, or in the beginning, you're wearing just like yeah. literally a suit with like a top hat. Um, <laughs> and then it's got yeah, really cool weapons. I mean, for goodness sake, like one of the weapons is a cane yeah. that turns into a whip. Like it's it's – super fun and actually i started out with the axe and then when i switched to the the threaded cane i started having way more fun with the game because it's just you can hit a lot faster and you can actually stun lock mm-hmm. enemies if you do like the basic cane hits even though they do less damage but then you have the cane like whip which does extra damage to beasts and mm-hmm. just had a ton of fun with that it's like one of the most fun weapons in a action game uh i think the movement is a little better if it was 60 fps it would Mm. be about 10 times it would it would be 10 times better even at 30 i did like that i could move a little bit faster obviously the pairing is nowhere near like what sekiro is but it's got like the gun parry system which it's a little janky like it it is not the thing that Sekiro does that's so good with its combat is it's extremely precise like if you tell it to do something it will do it. Bloodborne, uh, not all the time. Uh, like a good example is when, when you're fighting the blood-starved <laughs> beast. Like one of the ways to get massive damage is to get, um, what are they called? Like, What are, what are the like execution the hits attack? called? The visceral, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like getting a visceral attack is how you take big chunks of damage off, but your timing with your gun, like with your pistol, has to be perfect and sometimes you hit it But because of the frame drops, like, you don't quite hit it. And so it's just not very precise. That can get really annoying. Um, But overall, just mechanically, just between the gun and then kind of light and heavy attacks and then switching your weapon, most weapons, like, all of the weapons have different, uh, you can change the two-handed or one-handed, and then they have, you know, different abilities attached to them. Yeah, I like it, man. I I just I like it. If it was sixty FPS, it would be next level. But even at thirty, I found my I, I like it a lot better than like Dark Souls one. Yeah, I 1, think 2, 3.
1: so. Bloodborne has an extremely unique combat system, and I would even venture to say more unique in than Sekiro's. I mean, in Sekiro, you're using really just one weapon. You have prosthetics, and that's going to change your gameplay. And then you have the parry system. And honestly. Earlier this year, I 100 I at Sekiro, and I actually found that sometimes it was just easier to parry than to try to fit in a prosthetic attack. And so some bosses, I was literally only parrying and swinging my sword. Um, however, in, in Bloodborne, I feel like maybe your weapon options aren't nearly as big as they are in Elden Ring. But every single weapon caters to a very unique play style and encourages different types of play. So, I played most of the game with a pistol in my left hand and then the saw cleaver in my right. I actually switched every now and then between the saw cleaver and the tonitress. Um, and just depending on where I thought it would take more damage. Um, and it was, I mean, the thing about this combat system that is so interesting, in my opinion, is that you, you really have to play smarter. It, it is. A dangerous game i think in any boss fight in any game to try to just simply be more patient than or not be greedy when it comes to bosses and that's very true but i felt like especially with the vicar amelia fight if you were trying to play like a low and slow burn attack her healing would just recuperate all of the damage you've just done she heals a massive amount when you do it So you have to play smarter. You have to play looking for crits. You have to play using parries. You have to, um, so I'm just, you know, with the controls, your L2 is shoot your weapon. Your L1 is to switch your weapon from its standard attack damage to its trick attack damage, and um, you can use that in combination with your light attack, which is your R1, and your heavy attack, which is your R2. So there are actually lots of different combos that you can arrange between L1, R1, and R2. And some of those are going to do specific types of damage to enemies. Sometimes that enemy will, you know, suffer more or take more damage according to whatever damage type you utilize according to those combos. I would, so, it's complex. I, I think it's way more complex than meets the eye. It took me quite a while to figure out, okay. How exactly am I doing damage? If I do this type of attack, is it doing more damage on this boss? And Vicar Amelia, I think, was probably the biggest learning moment for me because that boss forces you. I mean, you cannot play that boss dumb. You cannot play that boss slow because as soon as she heals, you're screwed. And so I had to think, how am I maximizing damage output? What exactly am I bringing into this fight? And how am I taking her down? And she wasn't, I mean, for me, probably the hardest boss. I think I spent three and a half, four hours on that boss alone. But after I figured her out, the rest of the game kind of was downhill. Because I had figured out very well how to use my weapons, how to approach different bosses, and how to really think about how Bloodborne bosses were going to operate. So I think mechanically, the attack system, because it's so unique, even though there's a shorter list of weapons that you are going to use, each weapon matters, and each weapon plays extremely differently, and you have to lean in 100% to that because there are pretty much no defense options in this game. You must dodge, which is, it's, you know, no. you must dodge. It's all you dodging. can parry with the gun, but I agree with you, Cameron. The, the funny thing about the guns in Bloodborne is that the bullets travel slowly, and so they can be dodged, and you can easily miss time right. when a bullet is going to interrupt an attack. So there are some bosses pattern and their patterns that I figured out and I could parry, but it's hard. It's crazy hard. You're doing it at a distance and maybe you've got the timing right normally, but for whatever reason, you're three steps back during this specific attack. And so you fire when you think you see the correct movement to shoot, to interrupt, but it's arriving there late because you're three steps away. So it's incredibly precise in that way. Otherwise, I would say mechanics very much line up with a lot of other from software games. You're collecting blood echoes. Those are your souls. There are items, you know, that you can keep upon death and a bunch of those items can grant you blood echoes. You have different items, you know, throwables, consumables, things that you can use to create status buffs, etc., etc. Not much has really changed, I would say, um, aside from the actual weapons themselves when it comes to combat mechanics.
0: Yeah, one of the things I loved in this game was fighting other hunters that are out in the world. I think that was probably my favorite thing and fighting like yeah. human humanoid bosses. Some of the monster <laughs> bosses like kind of pissed me off a Blood lot. Starved Beast? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think Star Beast was my car Amelia because that once I beat Bloodstar Beast, yeah. I was like, I got this. And I kind of figured out the rest of the game from there. Although there was, there is one... There was, there was two bosses that I just said, nope, I'm not even just, I'm just not going to do these. And one of them was, I can't remember. It's in that, um it's in that like dark plane that you get teleported to. It, it, it's at the very end, it's like the big spider boss. You know oh, what I'm talking about? Um,
1: was that in the upper cathedral? I can look this ward. up after. It's, um, Ebrietas, maybe?
0: Uh, I can look this up while you're talking in a second. But anyway, it's the spider boss. And like, I was just doing like no damage. And it was at a point in the game where. It was just not, it was just not working for me. So I kept going and pounded on further to more main bosses. But other than that, had a lot of fun with with the combat boss encounters. Or yeah. I mean, it's from software; like they know what they're doing. I mean, it's it's fantastic. The and then you know you add how good they are at monster design, and then you add the Lovecraftian yeah. horror element, and it's just like next level in terms of what what they're able to do. Um, the most memorable moment for mm-hmm. me in this game was when you get to man, I wish I could remember what this location's called, but what's the what's the place called? Is it the mansion where you go and you fall through the portal and you fight like the big blob on, oh, the, on the, uh, water? the Bergenworth. Like in the Bergenworth. Okay. So before I fought that boss, I had a two hour long standoff with an NPC that entered <laughs> my world. and if you know anything about this part inside Bergenworth inside the building I think there is either one or two NPC like enemy NPC hunters that also come out and fight you and so what happened is this standoff with you know someone invaded my game came in and they had like the blood sword I remember this like super vividly and there's all these like fights going on and What I would do is every time he would come at me, I would back myself into Bergenworth to the point where the NPC, like the other hunter, would come down and they would end up getting in a fight. And then I would go and like chip off this guy. And he was like way higher ranked. Anyway, I ended up beating him after like an hour and a half. Um, And this was right before going and fighting that boss. Great, great (laughs) gaming moment. Yeah. So... Then yeah you know I did that and then you like you go fight this boss where you just like you get teleported to the middle of a lake and it's like a blob and you're just like what is this game and at the same time you're smiling ear to ear.
1: Dude the Bergenworth was an area in particular um, really caught me off guard because it was a really small area. I think it's probably one of the smallest areas I've ever encountered in a From Software game. It's really not that big. Now that NPC that attacks you. When you go up the first staircase, it's a tank. And when that NPC hit me with an arcane spell, I was pissed. I was livid. I was like, <laughs> you're telling me there's magic in this game. And you're telling me this dude can one-shot me. And so I explored the area, and true to from software form, there were a bunch of items that would boost my arcane defense. So I, I equipped them all and went back, two-shot. Mm. I was like, this is absolutely insane. That dude right. was the hardest boss so hard in fact that i ended up using the npc summon for the boss and i just watched them two duke it out cuz i was like i can't i can't beat this npc i can't do it like yeah. after 3 tries i was like i'm never going to beat this this guy
0: i also love i love the npc summons in that in bloodborne because it oh, establishes yeah. like the whole hunter lodge and like hunter lore and it just makes for that sure so yeah uh,
1: unfortunately so that npc just to clarify for the record only time I had to use an NPC summon in the game, but there was no way I was going to be able to take that guy alone.
0: Why? Why? You know what? Why do you feel the need <laughs> to mention that? You know what? Just let people play the way. <laughs> this is a Dark Souls elitist, ladies and gentlemen. He only. He does he's not believe in some. Guys. He's one of those Elden Ring players. He's a Elden ring He's a gatekeeper. We don't need to talk about it. No, I mean, look. I appreciate the skill, Jake. I appreciate the skill. I definitely Those dudes use summons hard attack, as much as I could. But I definitely do so.
1: look up um, strategies for Shadow of Yarnum, And um, so there was one other boss that I looked up a strategy for because I was struggling. Um, anyway, yeah. So also true to From Software Form, there are tons of optional areas, secret areas. I only found, like, two. And I went up and I looked it up later, and there were probably three or four optional bosses that i missed outside of dlc so there's quite a bit there unfortunately this game launches you into new game plus right after beating it which i'm so glad they got rid of that in other games yeah. later because it's such a shame i would have loved to go back looked up areas and then gone through them but i i don't know if i could just do a whole new game plus just to do it but yeah, anything else with mechanics? Like I said, a, right. I mean, a lot of this is um, very similar to other From Software games outside of the weapon combat and and the dodging. If you're not locked on, you can do a traditional like forward roll dodge. But I found that there were very few instances where I really wanted to use that. It was much more efficient to do the quick sprint like strafe to get around uh, behind a boss or behind an enemy because they would take increased damage and stagger damage if you hit them from behind. So I I rarely was rolling. Um, Let's see. And then the last thing is the the equivalent of bonfires in this game, the lamps, the hunter lamps that you light, they're so far apart. And (laughs) finding (laughs) shortcuts is crucial in this game. I don't think there was a single area where I did not find all of the shortcuts because the some of those running sections were crazy long. The Forbidden Woods, getting from the the this old Yarnum all the way to the Shadow of Yarnum boss fight, is the longest in probably one of the most insane running sections ever in a Front software game. And then also uh, the one where you were running down to fight the One Reborn, absolutely insane. And so I would I would say that those so those areas and the mechanic there is like you can't explore like there you have to come back 30 levels higher if you want to try to explore because you're going to get mobbed by enemies and fps is just (laughs) going to
0: drop that's actually a key insight that's that's different from Elden ring which this is this thing that you're talking about is probably the number one reason that people don't play dark souls games because of that very thing like you don't feel like you're making progress yeah. when the lamps are so far apart. And so the way I got around that and actually made progress in Bloodborne and this was again pre Elden Ring, Elden Ring I think they fixed that problem. So I opened up the accessibility like yeah. in my opinion significantly. But to your point like running section, that's exactly what they are like until you have the next lamp discovered, you just gun it to that like no questions asked i ran past enemies like ran past npcs like ran past everything just to get to the next section and then i would go back and it just took it just takes the pressure off it takes the anxiety off and once i figured out that's how you have to play the game it made the game way better but i do feel like that's that's one of the reasons that people fall off i think that brings us right into talking gameplay loop um if you played a from software game this is I mean, this gameplay loop, it's it's got lamps instead of bonfires, it's got blood vials instead of souls. Um, you accumulate more blood vials as you go along in the game so that you can heal more often. Um, there there's certain abilities where you can trade, you know, blood blood vials. We didn't even talk about yeah, builds. I, I, there's all every there's builds. Every single weapon in this has game. a build, I think there's, with there, it. Yeah, so there's stats and you actually have to be careful with the stats. Like you have to look up a guide and make sure that you align stats correctly according to the weapons that you want to use. This is a mistake that I made because I didn't realize that you can't really get, you can't really, and I mean, you can, without a ton of farming, get some of the late game weapons upgraded enough where they're actually usable. I realized yeah. that most people do that in New Game Plus. So I, in the beginning, I went after some of the cool weapons that you can get later in the game, only realizing that, my basic weapon fully upgraded was actually more powerful and I needed like extra materials to get, get that, um, yeah, uh, leveled up. But anyway, gameplay loop, it's, it's, it's really the same loop as, as these other games, you know, you enter an area, you have a lamp, but instead of a bonfire, you go out in the world, there's enemies, there's yeah. gotcha traps, there's thank you, dark, <laughs> dark souls moments all over the place where you just get killed and you fall, down into uh you know into a sewer and there's crazy rats that kill you in one hit or like attach themselves to you and and suck you dry um but then when you make it to the next lamp and you just do that repeat repeat until you get to a boss and then you beat a boss and that usually unlocks a new area and i mean yeah that's that's really it
1: there um something that i noticed that was different in this um, even like compared to Dark Souls 1, uh, which is more of a contemporary to Bloodborne than other From Software games, is that upgrade materials were very severely gate kept, um, between areas. And so it was yeah, very yeah, difficult totally. to get your weapon over a specific, um, level before fighting certain bosses. And, um, I noticed like immediately after, for example, you beat Shadow of Yharnam, you'll find a bunch of the next upgrade material for your weapons. And so um, you have to do plenty of exploring. And I found that without farming, I was really only able to level up probably two weapons. Um, and they were my two favorite weapons. And so it was a Saw Cleaver yep. and the Ton of trust. I already mentioned it. But those are the two that I focused on. The Saw Cleaver was the one that I put more in. So by the end of the game, my sock Cleaver was plus nine. I didn't even get a plus ten. It wasn't even maxed out. And then uh, the, the Ton of trust was plus seven. And, uh, so the gameplay loop really forces you to play smarter, right? Like you, you really can't just over level a weapon. Um, even in like dark souls three, like if you beat specific bosses, you can get access to weapon upgrade materials that will just severely overpower your weapon. And that is simply really not an option I found in bloodborne. So the game is really forcing you to play smart. It's really forcing you to dive into the mechanics. Um, Let's see. There are also the Chalice Dungeons. Now, I barely touched these because they were hard as
0: heck. But
1: that would be the way to try to get coveted materials earlier on is by doing Chalice Dungeons. And Chalice Dungeons have a cool lore explanation. But essentially, it adds to the gameplay loop as uh, being like a designated area to farm. Now I had my favorite farms within the game normally without, so I didn't use the chalice dungeons all that often. Um, but the chalice dungeons are a unique addition which I haven't seen replicated in any From Software game, where it's a specific area for you to accomplish specific tasks and get better rewards that you would then take to your mainline playthrough of the game. Um, otherwise, like Cameron says, gameplay loop is relatively similar. It would be. I think if this is your first From Software game, it would be very easy to fall off because of how long the running sections are. Cameron, you've already explained that pretty thoroughly. Um, same with Dark Souls One, honestly. But uh, but the thing is, is once you beat a boss, it's super satisfying, and you just want to move on to the next one. You want to see how the story progresses. Um, whole atmospheres will change. Like there's a moment when dusk turns to night. Some areas will have different NPCs. The world is a lot darker. The night is different. And I think that's one of those uh, big uh, environmental moments of telling you, hey, you've moved on to the next section of the game. That's also incentive to keep playing as well. Um, And then the other drawback would be related to the long uh, distances between lamps. It's a long distance between a lamp and a boss, even with all the shortcuts um, implemented. My run, I think I count. I like... My run to the lamp, to the shadow of and boss fight was still like a minute 10 or like a minute and a half, even with what I couldn't find any other shortcuts, even with shortcuts in place. And that can be really demoralizing and really impede, I think, your enthusiasm to give a boss another go.
0: Yeah, I would say if you can get past that, if you can get past that, the, the distances, which are pretty severe in this game, like extremely severe, um, it's definitely worth the experience. So with that said, moving into talking about impact on the industry, now that we have a Call of Duty level popular Dark Souls game on our hand that's been out, how would a Bloodborne remake perform with those people? would they buy it?
1: It is such a different aesthetic. Part of the reason why I avoided Bloodborne for so long was because of the aesthetic. I'm converted now because I've played it, right? And I'm really into the lore and I'm into the world. But, um, when, and I've mentioned this many times in the podcast before, but if I'm going to be spending 20 hours looking at something, I have to like what I'm looking at. It it is really hard for me to get into a game, um, and I think it's not just me, but other people, if you simply don't like the art direction, it's going to be really hard to get into it. And so I think if you don't like this, I hear you have two people saying we don't like Lovecraftian horror yet. We still enjoy the game. Maybe that gives you hope, but maybe at the same time, you'll just never get into it that. So to actually answer your question, instead of just go on and on, will people who buy, who bought and liked Elden Ring want to play a Bloodborne remake or play Bloodborne I honestly think they're going to go to dark souls one or dark souls three because it looks, it looks more similar and it (laughs) plays much more similarly. Bloodborne. I think is too much of a leap. I think a lot of people would buy it though, based on word of mouth because bloodborne has, I think bloodborne's cult following has a much stronger and vocal, you know, presence than like dark souls three, you know, fans or, or even Sekiro Mm -hmm. fans, I would say, um, but but I don't know. I just don't I th- I could see a lot of people just kind of losing interest just cuz it's so different.
0: Yeah, I mean, I said like they should do it and I definitely feel like they're going to. I mean, if they if they remade Demon Souls, I mean, it seems like a given that this has got to be happening. But to your point, I think they're probably better off just focusing on Elden Ring DLC which is probably what they're doing and I think we already heard rumors that they, yeah. that, that is what they're doing um, so maybe Bluepoint will make Bloodborne I don't know what are they working yeah, on I they're think they're not they working IP. on original IP there now, were rumors right? when
1: the when Demon Souls remake came out people found a room with a baby crying and people swore that it was the same track that was used in the Murgo's Wet Nurse boss fight and so the assumption oh. was that they were working on a Bloodborne yeah. remake but at this point you could have a baby scream just, I don't know, outside your window and people would be on the <laughs> internet saying that it's proof of a Bloodborne remake. So, I don't know. Um, right. It's interesting. I think it's really interesting that like when we talk about Souls-like games, Cameron, do do we see a Souls-like game that's set mm-hmm. in the Bloodborne, like a Bloodborne-like aesthetic and world, or are they all set in like Dark Souls fantasy worlds? Because I am not convinced that Bloodborne has the biggest impact on the industry. This is why I framed it as impact versus legacy. I think it has a very strong legacy. But what games come to your mind that specifically hearken to Bloodborne?
0: I no idea. Salt- Does Salt and Sanctuary nothing?
1: look like Bloodborne?
0: Uh, I mean, I know there is, but that's the thing. There's There is, but there's nothing really like it. In that sense, I think yeah. Silent Sanctuary is still pretty
1: medieval. I could only think of two games, and neither of them are out yet.
0: Or the Order eighteen (laughs) eighty three or whatever that PlayStation game. Maybe no. um, (laughs) Has anyone actually played that? Because I haven't.
1: No, the two games I thought of were um, Lies of P, that weird Pinocchio Souls game. That one. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah yeah yeah. It's not out yet though, and the other one, which is
1: coming out this fall. Is another um it's another souls like it's called Steel Rising. Um, but it's kind of a mix between Bloodborne and the Near Automata carnival section. <laughs> um it's it says I have it up right here. It says Paris 1790 or 1789, the French Revolution. And so I don't know, I like and I am prepared to take the heat on this. So if you listen to this episode, come into our Discord and yell at me. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I'm excited for it. Where exactly do we see the combat mechanics with the weapons that Bloodborne has in other games? Where exactly do we see a quick sprint dodge to the side replacing like a dodge roll, for example? Where do we see this Lovecraftian horror in like a third-person action game? that's reminiscent of bloodborne and i'm venturing to say that we're not seeing nearly as many people copying bloodborne as people seem to talk about it
0: maybe it's uncopyable well if life of uh life of p life of pi pinocchio lovecraftian pinocchio horror game pretty much looks like a Bloodborne Maybe copy, that'll so. be the Maybe one. And listen, one.
1: I'm happy to be wrong. I'm happy to be wrong and people say, hey, the impact of Bloodborne is everywhere. Why can't you see it? I think we see the impact of Bloodborne in other FromSoft games and that they move way faster than Demon Souls or Dark Souls 1 um, because those games are slow as heck in terms of movement. But Sekiro, for example, is a prime example of very quick movement.
0: Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... I mean, getting to the crux of this category, uh, impact on the industry. I mean, look, Bloodborne is a cult, cult following. It's probably the most popular, most diehard. Uh, it's definitely the most popular, most diehard Dark Souls fan fandom game, in my opinion. Uh, just based on like the conversation on Twitter and online and around gaming and like in general, um, does. Does Elden Ring do as well as it does without Bloodborne? I don't think it does because a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think this, this splash the water probably more than any other outside Dark Souls one, this splashed the water, I think more than anything in the zeitgeist of the crazy Dark Souls fandom that is just craving the next thing, which propelled the hype and the word of mouth around Elden Ring to a fever pitch, probably not seen outside of Cyberpunk 2020, 2077 except the difference is Elden <laughs> Ring actually delivered like pretty close to 99% or of the experience more. that it promised. Um y- yeah. or even I'm- more. Yeah. So so we know what the impact on the industry is and it's Elden Ring and now we've seen Elden Ring and and know what impact that's going to have and from yeah. software is going to be around for a long time. They're just gonna they're just gonna up the pace and the speed of what they release. I I hear they having, Hideo, uh Miyazaki. Yeah, Miyazaki. No, what's his name? Yeah. Miyazaki. He's he's already handed off projects to like lower team members and given them like creative lead positions, and so they're splintering yeah. and they're creating he, he more did stuff. Talk, so, uh, right, he did and they've got the money to do it
1: anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you, and. I think Bloodborne has an awesome legacy. I think it's a really cool game. I think there's an awesome I mean there's for very good reason people are still talking about it. People are still craving a remake for sure. Um yeah, I I think yeah, Elden Ring will elevate like you said a lot of these other games and generate interest in them and we'll kind of see what happens there. But um yeah, I don't know if a Bloodborne remake wasn't in production before Elden Ring came out. It, I think I'm with you in that it will be because of Elden Ring that one gets made finally. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, phenomenal game. I think there's plenty of reason why people should be talking about it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've got anything else to say. I think it's definitely made it splash. I think it will be on greatest games, you know, of the 2010s greatest games of all time lists forever, um, for sure. And I think in that way, it is definitely made its mark on video game history.
0: I agree. Well, Jake, this has been another episode of the Pre-order Bonus podcast talking about Bloodborne. Bloodborne, one of the biggest, biggest games in the zeitgeist of gaming. Most popular, probably most in demand remake. If you had to just pick one off the top of your head, probably the most in demand. Will it happen? We shall see i'm betting oh, wait. It will who knows when i i promise you all does, that,
1: the bit of news oh, is Jake, that what's the bit of i heard yeah. uh two crows with broken legs caught at somebody who had a shotgun in a wheelchair therefore i have concrete evidence that the bloodborne remake is coming out in september 2022 and it's gonna launch on pc and it's coming to game pass
0: this is not hey, official news. This is so a more credible just... <laughs> source
1: than most sources I see on Twitter. I've,
0: okay, what? Where did you hear? I, I where, looked what's, out what's the source? my window what's the
1: and I saw two crows with broken legs,
0: oh, okay. cawing
1: fiercely. And there's probably a baby crying in the distance. So I mean, that's about as good as sources any anything else that you see.
0: Got it. Okay. So you're convinced? I see where you're right? coming September from. September 2022, all right, all right, all right. launching to PC
1: and Game Pass, but it's actually not coming to PS5. The remake yeah
0: i mean well you heard it here first uh it's coming can you imagine if Bloodborne (laughs) came to game pass that would be insane um with that (laughs) with that ladies and gentlemen uh this is it pre-order bonus follow us on twitter at pre-order cast follow me cameron at mass generic jake at jacob underscore chip to 18 Join us on Discord. Link is in the description. One of these days, we're going to get an actual link, like, discord.com slash pre That'd be cool. I'm going to figure that out. Uh, we'll, we'll tweet that out once we figure that out. I think we have to upgrade to, like, Nitro level or something to get, like, an actual URL. But once we get that, we'll get that so you guys can find that easy. If not, just scroll down in your podcast app, open up the description, and click that link. You will be automatically invited to the Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast because you like what we do, go to patreoncom slash cast and you can sign up at the one dollar tier or five dollar tier. One dollar tier is like a tip jar; you get access to new episodes twenty-four to forty-eight hours in advance of the general public, and the five dollar tier you get extra content—that's extended versions of the episodes that we do—and uh, then additional like indie impressions and other things from Jake and myself that go on that that uh, five dollar tier. So you could do that. And then the other thing you could do that, that helps the podcast a lot is leave a review that helps more people find it on podcast services that they use. We appreciate all of you and have a great night.